Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, family meeting. Family meeting. (laughs) That's what we've been doing. We've been having a family meeting here at Northside. If if you're a guest with us or you're catching up or you've been away or on holidays or travelling and you haven't heard the news, we're now one church in two locations. Uh, So I've just been up at our Taramara campus uh, where uh, I've just been practicing basically for the message right now, which is fantastic. So we've, we've adopted a church, a, a new uh, set of brothers and sisters. And so it, it would be appropriate then, uh, given that we've done that, that we spend five weeks looking at what makes Northside, Northside. And so over these five weeks, we've been looking at what our core values are as a church. We've, we've heard week one that we're a church that always wants to point towards Jesus, that we want nothing to come in the way of someone who's seeking and God except the question, who is Jesus? And then last week, we uh, shared that uh, we're a church who just accepts people where they are and helps them to become all God is designing them to be. And, and so this morning, I'm going to talk about our third value. And, and I, look, I think if... If, if we don't get this, then, then in many ways, I, I think this is one of the, the most unique things about Northside in our values. And, and if, if we don't get this, if you don't get this this morning, what I'm going to share about, then, then Northside's not going to get it. Because remember, I've said, you, you are your church. <laughs> I, it's, it, there's no use having these values up on the team's whiteboard saying, this is what we would like to be. Um, you are your church. And so if your church is not like this, then there's an opportunity for you and I to look and say, do, do I embody this? Do I, do I live this? Do I live this out? And at this, what we're going to talk about this morning is critical because, you know what, I, I love, as you've heard me say, talking to people um, who are just checking out Christianity, um, people who have, more importantly, um, fallen away from Christianity. And what I've discovered uh, over the years is that people very rarely um, bail out of church for theological reasons. Um, they certainly changed churches for theological reasons. Had plenty of emails around that. Um, but people rarely bail out of church for theological reasons. They, they, they bail out of, of church for this reason. And it basically goes like this. You know, I, 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 I don't have a problem with God. I like God. I, I've done the God thing. I've just got a problem with the church. I've, I've, been, I've been hurt. I've been stung. Or it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Or, or some of the more practical reasons now is just, you know, classic lower North Shore. I'm busy, you know, and I golf on Sundays, right? You know, and you meet people all the time that have done the Sunday school and done the preaching and done all of this and, and, and they just bail. And it's because they don't have a problem with God. They've just got a problem with church. And somewhere along the line, it's, it's just gotten all twisted and, and out of shape. And you see this dynamic come into play at Christmas and Easter, right? Because this place is always at least about 30% more full at Easter time and Christmas, right? In fact, um, I've met people where the only time I see them is at Christmas and Easter in this place. And you know what? People can, particularly those who are checking out Christianity, can come into churches and they can see everyone doing the music and doing the singing and doing the preaching. And they've probably known churches where the preachers all dressed up in robes and saying stuff that they don't understand. And they've made a conclusion where they've said, you know what? Like church, I, I just don't think is for me. Church is for church people. You know, whereas work is for professionals, golf is for golfers. Churches for church people, right? You got friends who talk like that? 
And so it, it, it was that reason that, that I reckon has always been ingrained into our DNA as a church that said we, we, we want to be this, our third value, that we want to be a church that communicates uncluttered Christianity with creativity, clarity, and compassion. <laughs> because it's, it's almost... It's almost like a uh, that it's almost like the churches, you know. It's it's an uphill battle with all of this. Um, it, it's it's something that that we're constantly fighting because you know ch- churches. It's almost like they've they've taken the the bottom rungs out of a big ladder, and so for the average person wanting to look at Christianity, they come in and they see all these people who look holier than now and seem like they've got their life together and know the Bible and pray and know all the things that you do in church land. And it's like I would like to be there. I'd like to break this habit, and I'd like a stronger marriage, and I'd like all of these things. But I just I I don't know how to get there. I think part of the reason is this. We, we Christians, I don't know why we're going to have a look at it this morning, but we just know how to complicate the God thing. <laughs> we just, we've just got this propensity to complicate the God thing. You know? and, and if you think about it, sometimes when you go to different churches, even this church, we're not perfect. We just do some things that when I look at them, it's just dumb. Right? We do. We argue over the most stupid stuff in church. Stuff that's got nothing to do with the things that your friends and my friends want to seek God about. Right? So that's why we're, we're, we're so on about all of this. And we, we don't do it perfectly, but we're convinced that church is not just for church people because there's nothing further than the truth when you see this passage. But church is for all people. And God is for all people. And Jesus came for all people. And so it begs a question, how do we become a church that is for all people? Everyone. Um, and that's what we see here in Acts 15. Acts, Acts as in like A-C-T-S, not Acts. You know, I thought as a kid it was Acts 15. That'd be awesome. What a cool book of the Bible. I'm going to read from Acts. No, it's just A-C-T-S. It's the Acts of God, what he did. If you're, if you're checking out Christianity, um, then you've come at a, a great morning here because you're not only going to get a sense of our church, but you're going to get a sense of the church. Like this is first sources. This is first principles. This is, this is no preacher getting in the way of all of that, this stuff if you read Acts. So I really encourage you to go through and read Acts chapter 15 because in Acts chapter 15, we have what's called the Jerusalem Council, Right? That's biblical theological word. You want, you want the everyday word for the, the Jerusalem council? Family meeting. Family meeting. They had to have a family meeting because uh, what was happening is that the very first converts to Christianity uh, were actually primarily Jewish. If you didn't realize, like Jesus was Jewish and his followers were Jewish. And so uh, the, the Christianity was birthed in Jerusalem where there's a lot of Jewish people. And so naturally, early Christianity in the first followers, early Christianity was an extension of Judaism. And so basically, Abraham and Moses and David and the Messiah and all those stories, all those stories came together uh, so that Christianity just tacked on the end of it. Oh, Jesus lived, breathed, died, was the Messiah, raised. Okay, that's cool. And so they still went to the temple and they prayed and they followed some of their 613 different laws. And so Christianity was just an extension of Judaism. Which was fine until this guy Paul gets this good idea from Jesus on the road to Damascus that the church, God, 
is for everybody. And so instead of going and reaching Jews, Paul goes out and he preaches in the countryside to this group of non-Jews, countrysiders, who had the category for them called Gentiles. And so he goes out, starts preaching to the Gentiles, and he basically says, look, believe in Jesus. He lived, breathed, uh, died, raised again. Wow, that's amazing. Done. I'm in. There's Christianity. That's a little bit of work from the Holy Spirit in all of that too, by the way. <laughs> that easy. There'd be a revival in here. <laughs> Right, So then what happens is all these Gentiles start coming to God and, and all the Jewish people, uh, Christians back in, in, in Jerusalem look at all that and go, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. You know, you've, you've got to do all sorts of different stuff. You can't just come to Jesus. That's not fair. You know, you've got to do all sorts of things. You know, for example, guys, you've got to go and get the snip. <laughs> and it's like they, they discover that like, like every, every first um, new members class at the Jerusalem church was just full of women. And so they, they arrive at, at this, this question, and it's the question for us. You know, how the heck do you run church when you have a whole bunch of unchurched people really interested in God and finding God? And it's causing all sorts of mess. And you know what they do? Family meeting. So what I want to do is I want to read to you some of the minutes from the family meeting. They took minutes in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And so we've got minutes of that meeting as to, as to what was said because, you know, he, here we are, no, no more than, like it feels like no more than 30 seconds since Jesus has ascended up into heaven and Christians are already complicating it. So here we are, Acts 15. And then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now pause there. This is fascinating. First of all, the party of who? The Pharisees. Who were they? I, I didn't pick this up until reading this this week. They're the ones that were trying to kill Jesus. And some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, these are Pharisees who have converted to Christianity. How did that happen? It's not because like, they read the Bible and, oh, Jesus is the Son of God, and you know, I believe. No, because something happened. They saw, they saw him alive. They heard that he was alive. You know, and they're probably going, oh, wrong guy. <laughs> wrong bets on that one. He's the real deal. Right? So the, the Pharisees in all of there, they've converted to Christianity and they say, no, 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 that's not fair. I'm a Pharisee. I've done all the hard work. It's not fair that they get to come straight into the church. Ever felt like that? You know, I've, done, I've done the hard work. I've turned up to every Bible study ever. And they hardly ever turn up at church. That's, that's not fair. That's what they're saying. And then after verse 7, uh, after much discussion, Peter gets up and addresses them. Brothers, you know... But some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And what was so profound about that is Peter was a superstar. They knew him. They knew that uh, the story of how he'd had a dream that, 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 that he could eat a ham sandwich with some Gentiles, which is a very non-Jewish thing to do. You know, and, and, and that Peter had basically had this dream that said God is for everybody. The church is for everybody. And Peter says... That's the deal. Peter says God is for everyone. And then verse 9, he says, He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. <laughs> you know, great example. They purified their hearts by faith instantly by the Holy Spirit. Right at that moment, right in the middle of all of the messy, crazy, non-churchy behavior, they were purified instantly. God purifies their heart. It, it, what Peter's saying there, it means that the church should be the one place in the world 
where there are no haves or have-nots. There's no earned your faith, haven't earned your faith. There's no up or down. There's no pure, there's no impure because God has made no distinction amongst any of us. For he purified their hearts by faith. Then verse 10, meeting minutes, bullet point number five. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's saying, the 613 laws, like you guys don't even keep 150 of them. <laughs> so why the heck are you going to make unchurched people submit to all the rules and regulations that you don't even do yourself? <laughs> we talked about that last week, did we? Like nothing mucks up the reputation of the church more than outsiders seeing judgmental Christians telling them how to do things, Christianity style, and they're not even doing it themselves. Biblical. And then the clincher, James, the brother of Jesus. (laughs) I pause on that because if ever you want to understand how we can say that Christianity is the divine religion, it's this guy. Now the head of the Jerusalem church up there, running the whole thing, converted to Christianity. If there's ever one proof that Christianity is a divine religion, it's convincing your brother that you're the son of God. <laughs> okay. it's like, he didn't even clean up his room. He can't be that sweet. I saw him. It was a mess. I headlocked him. He can't be that powerful. <laughs> right? This guy is running, remember, 3,000 added to their name in one day. He's running the Jerusalem megachurch. That has to be proof that Christianity is a divine religion. You try and convince your sibling that you're the son or daughter of God. Um, And he says this, and this should be written on the walls of every part of our church, wherever we go. This is who we are. He then says, okay, I've heard all the, the meeting. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult to the Gentiles who are turning to God. Simple. After all of the debate, of all of the theology, of all of the rules and religions, James says, you know what? We should just go with uncluttered Christianity. How about we do that? Wouldn't you love to be a church like this? (sighs) Breathe, simple, done. (laughs) Is that what happened, Christians? No, like you fast forward a thousand years, Christians get a really good idea that we're going to send out a whole bunch of, bunch of knights with swords. We're going to slash and kill people all the way back to the Holy Land. And we're going to kill Jews. And we're going to kill Muslims in the way in order to take it back for ourselves. Simple, right? In the 1400s, the Spanish Inquisition, like thousands of people killed because they wouldn't submit to decrees that the church said that they should do. Right? Simple. Uncle- 1500s, Martin Luther. You know, you've got Catholic church, you've got like penances, you've got, you're collecting money off all the poor people around to go and build St. Peter's Basilica. You know, they're paying money to keep grandma out of hell. And, and, and Luther sees all of this and he goes, that is ridiculous. It is by faith alone that you are saved. Simple. Thank you, Luther. Finally, we got it, didn't we? Ah, simple Christianity. And then all the denominations start. And you know, Anglicanism and, 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 uh, and, and all the rest of the branches of Christianity, Churches of Christ, Baptist, the whole lot. You know, any non-church people looks at this and says, you can't ever get the answer right amongst yourselves. We overcomplicate the God thing, right? So if, um, if we see this throughout history... 
Could it be possible that right now, as we speak, we're cluttering Christianity? Because history's shown us that these moments where, where, where there's, there's this gravitational pull, it, it, it attracts theological and, and practical dust over the top of everything, and we constantly clutter this up. And so as a church, you know, we, we might want to be a church that communicates uncluttered Christianity, but that takes work and discipline. I know. I know because my wife is one of the most organized people that I know. You know, and Kristen has this rule in our house where um, like every quarter we go through a decluttering process. <laughs> decluttering process. You know, before I met Kristen, like all of my belongings just belonged in the cage of the garage under the unit in which I lived. It was in there somewhere, right? But you know, every quarter Kristen will, will go through and, and we'll search through the house and we'll go to Big W and we'll find organisers and drawers and, all, and we'll build systems and all sorts of snazzy things in order to um, declutter the place. Anyone else do this? Just us? We've got a few. It's great. Okay. We're going to have a special class for that after church. <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is as a church, we need to constantly be dis- disciplined in what are, what are our principles in decluttering Christianity. It doesn't happen by accident. It's very deliberate. You know, it's been wonderful to think about how I could articulate how this church does it deliberately. You want to know why? You want to know how? Here they are. The first thing that we do to constantly try, we're not perfect at this, but to unclutter Christianity is that we're relentlessly focused on the outsider, not the insider. Now, I know straight up people are going to go, oh, but there's bits of the Bible that you need to look after the believers and care for them. I'm not talking about pastoral care. I'm saying that we are relentlessly focused in trying to communicate and reach to people outside of our four walls rather than in here. And, you know, because churches have this inherent gravitational pull towards the inside. You want to know why that happens? It happens because of this, you know, it's because as a pastor, you know, I'm not going to receive a dirty phone call or an email from the person that is eating brunch at Rough and Bear who hasn't even walked into this place this week. (laughs) I'm not going to get an email from the person outside the church who knows nothing of what's going on here. And so as a team, and as Christians, we can be inherently insider-focused with the way that we are doing our church life here. And so it's not really um, a theological issue rather than it's a relational issue. And here's what we have to keep doing. We have to constantly be asking ourselves, is there any way in which I've accidentally cluttered up Christianity? And to hold each other to this. It's it's why we talk the way we do. It's why I preach the way that we do. You know, we could sit here and we could go through the Greek and the Hebrew and and all the depths of how stuff's happening in the Bible there. But what what does that matter to to your friend or, or to my friends or the person that's doing brunch as we speak right now? They're worried about how am I going to survive work? How am I going to get through my marriage this week? How am I going to look after my kids? How am I going to find hope? How am I going to find meaning? Have you heard these conversations? So we're constantly geared to speaking to them in the room. We want to be accessible. We want to be accessible on our Sundays, in our groups, in the conversations we have over coffee. And one of the risks of that, of course, some people go, oh, that's just being seeker-sensitive. And to that I go, well, hello, you just read what James said? We must make it easy for those who want to turn towards God? What does that sound like? Seeker sensitive. In fact, it's more nuanced than that. It's seeker and believer sensitive. Because if you read verse 30, 
He then says to the Gentiles, look, guys, if you're going to come in the room, can you please just not eat food sacrificed to idols because it really throws the Jews off because it's so abhorrent to them. It really puts them in a spin. And can you please not sleep around with everybody? Right? <laughs> like that's, that's all they do. So they're just saying, be sensitive. Okay? So here's the principle. Here's what we do. Just assume they're in the room. It's why every Sunday we assume... You've, some of you Northsiders, I know, you think, if Sam's going to say once more, if you're checking out Christianity, I'm glad you're here, <laughs> I'm going to scream. Why do you think I say that? I, I say that because there were three people in church last Sunday. Some of them are still hitting here, sitting here that when they heard the message, they came up to me and they said, Sam, you are talking about me. I haven't been to church for 10 years or five years or 18 months and something stirred within me and I just decided to look you guys up on the internet and here I am and I can't believe that I just heard that message. Three people in one Sunday. We assume they're in the room and so that's why we speak to the outsider, not the insider. And I hate that language too, but it's the best way I can explain it. Um, here's the other thing we do. This one's vital. We prioritise conversations over policies. And you know where I'm going with this, but you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the amount of emails that I received this year and conversations and questions out in the foyer where people came up to me and said, Sam, 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 what's Northside's policy on gay marriage? I said, we don't have one. And we won't have one. Because we're going to be the sort of church, and I know I'm not speaking out of turn here with our eldership, um, but we, we are the sort of church that, that will never go and make blanket statements about certain people and individuals <laughs> that we don't know we haven't met yet. And more importantly, that, that gives you a, a rote-learned answer to every situation. We're just not going to do that. I'm sorry. If you like that sort of church, I'm really sorry. And there are a lot of great churches that do that. But we're not going to do it. Because conversations, conversations are difficult. Conversations are messy. Conversations are nuanced. Conversations require empathy. Conversations require understanding. Conversations require compassion. And when you get in the sort of messiness that the first Century church. You think this is a new issue, don't we? That's not. You know, we think it's a new issue that someone with a certain lifestyle or behaviours is now a part of church and calls himself a Christian. It's been happening for 2,000 years. And what was the first century church's response? Let's have a conversation, not a policy. And you know, in my mind, I think, you know why we want this? Why people want this? I think it's because they don't want to think. They just want to know what the answer is so they can spit something at someone. Oh, I don't want to be that sort of church. I don't want to be that sort of person. I, I, I want to be, be nuanced. And here's the point, because here was the church saying, and, and here are the Gentiles. We must make it easy for the Gentiles that are turning to, to God. And Paul and Peter are saying, no, 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 that, that's your language. That's not how I see them. They're not Gentiles. That's, that's my good friend Lucian. I, convert, I brought him to Christ. He's really struggling with this. Oh, that's, that's, my, that's my great friend Roman. Oh, he, he was a basket case, but he received Jesus and the Holy Spirit did an amazing work in his life. And he's trying real hard and, 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 I, and he wants to be part of the church and he's for us and he gets us, but he's my friend. And here's what happens. When we do policies and we categorise people, 
You know, anyone, anyone inside of a category never sees themselves as a category. They see themselves as an individual. And so individuals need, they don't, an individual doesn't need a policy, they need a conversation. How are you doing with that? How are you working with that? How's that going for you? How's God leading you in this? Why are you struggling with that? How can I help you? See what I mean? So we will always prioritize conversations over policies. And for some people, it drives them mad and they can't handle that. And I say, bless you. And there are lots of churches that do that, but it won't be this one. And, and off the back of that, and I'll be quick with this one. You know, when it starts, because that's messy, by the way. That's messy church. It takes a lot of effort to do that sort of church. And, and, and um, it's, it's, it's really messy. But when, when you get into, when you get into, in, into that mode of conversations with people, then, then you, you, you start to realise that, that if we are caught in the middle of the mess between grace and law, grace and law, and remember last week I said we want to be both, you know, we've made a decision as a church where we said, you know what, we're just going to lean towards Grace. Um, if God created the law, and it's his law, by the way, so I figure let God deal with the law. <laughs> but we will, we will lean towards grace. We'll lean towards grace all of the time because God leant towards grace with them. He says, God, who knows their heart, accepted them, gave them the spirit, just as he did to us. So don't discriminate. And so that's the question. When you're in the middle of the mess, do you know the person's heart? So leave the law to God and leave the grace to us. And, and ironically, here's why. Ever notice this? Um, when, whenever, whenever it's your issue, it's grace. <laughs> whenever it's someone else's issue, it's law. <laughs> notice that? Whenever it's your issue, it's grace. Whenever it's someone else's issue, it's law. Whenever it's your issue, it's like, oh, but you don't know my background. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know how I've been affected by this. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't. <laughs> Whenever it's someone else, it's law. Because an individual inside of a category is not a category, they're an individual. You know, in those emails, I, I totally know how those emails will go with people. I can tell by the way that people start their emails and what the tone as to whether it's going to be grace or law. I, I know whether it's going to be a grace or a law email by how they start, particularly on this issue of the whole gay marriage thing. And, and this is not a theological statement around all of that, so, so bear with me. But, but, but I know from how these emails start because some emails start with what is our policy towards the gays? What is our policy towards women in leadership? Or then you get other people say, Hey, Sam, what's Northside's policy? Because I've, I've got a sister called. I've got a brother who... I've got an uncle that. Conversations are difficult. Conversations are messy. But an individual... An individual always sees themselves as an individual within a category. And if we can't work it out, then I say to us, we lean towards grace. So, why? Why do we do all this? We just do this because I think, 
Jay Bassick and I thank Graham Agnew and I thank my predecessors. You know, I grew up in, this is the funny thing for me, I grew up in church like this and I just thought this is how church is. <laughs> That's how blessed I've been. I just thought this is just, this is just how church do things. Because I've, I've grown up under Jay Bassick's ministry and Graham Agnew's ministry and, and the predecessors of this church and many of the core members here that, that got this, that got these principles that we wanted to be a church when all other churches are pointing, and I'm not trying to have a stab at other churches, but when churches point fingers and overcomplicate the whole process, we wanted to be a church to just put another couple of rungs back on the ladder. Which means if we're going to continue to be a church like that, we have to do this. If you, if you see that we're accidentally making this whole thing more complicated and cluttered, call me out on it. Call us on it. Call the elders on it. Call the friend. Call your connect group leader on it. Um, call your friend on it. If you hear them working that way, because here's the thing: if if we see that there are ways where we've accidentally made Christianity more complicated, and we have, it's going to be your responsibility to fix it, <laughs> because you are your church. Simple as that. And so that's why we do all of this stuff. It's why we do a new church up in Taramara. It's because we just want to be a place where people can find God accessible. And it's going to be different from the ways that other places do it. But you know what? We want to be the sort of place where we might have a person in here saying, you know what, man, I don't even know where to find Ephesians, but I've found a place where I can connect. Ah, man, you know, this is bigger than what I'm used to in church and it feels so big, but you know what? I, I found some friendships in a connect group. So that's, that's why we do this. It's, it's why we, we, we do what we do. It's why we spend the money. It's, it's why I will constantly keep asking you to keep giving and to keep serving and to keep partnering with us and to keep working and, 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 and to keep being a part of all of this. Because you know what? We could, I was thinking the other week, particularly with all the stuff that's happening at Taramara, I'm like, we could have just stayed here. This is nice. This is safe. <laughs> I still, when I walk in of a morning, I'm still like, ah, oh, feels like home. You know, and the auditoriums, it's just at a nice, nice, safe level for us all here this morning. You know, not so big that you feel you get lost in it, but big enough that we feel like God's doing something here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, but I don't know, call it God or call it the way that I operate, but it's like, I don't want to get out of bed to go to a church like that. I don't want to be a part of it. And I'm sure for most of you, you don't want to get out of bed to serve at a church like that. <laughs> we want to be a church that communicates uncluttered Christianity. And yeah, it might feel seeker sensitive, but there's a whole other aspect to our church and our groups and the depth in which we go into it. But we want this to be the sort of place that is you're with your co-workers and your friends and um, those family members around you that you know and you feel and you wish just had God's life in them and with them. You know, we want to be the sort of place that the, 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 the minute they show some interest in seeking God, you're going, you know what? I know exactly the place for you to go to. In fact, I go there. Come with me. I'm going to share with you. But you, We want this to be accessible. Just as James said, who are we to make it difficult for those who are turning to God? That's the sort of church that we want to be. And most importantly, it's because I'm sure for most of us, somewhere along the line, Somewhere, someone made God accessible for you. So it's your turn now to continue to pay it on, to 
constantly declutter, to keep it simple, not only for God's sake, but for their sake. Those around us that are hungering for him, yearning for him, they're watching, they're amongst us. Let's pray. Father, I pray your spirit would help us with this. I pray that uh, you, you would help us in every micro moment of how we do church, uh, that you would help us to continue to keep it clear and simple, that we would get out of the way so that you could do your work, not because we think we've got some formula that brings people to you. It's not that. We just want nothing to get in the way between people and God. Help us with that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.